And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Romans. Today, Pastor Elliot looks at what the scripture says about justification, redemption, propitiation, and God's wrath. Jesus Christ, being so wonderful a Savior, provides us so marvelous a salvation. And now with his message for today, Pastor Robert Elliott. What does it mean to be justified? To be justified is God's work of declaring sinners righteous. Justification is God's work of declaring sinners righteous. The world's way and every other world religion's way except biblical Christianity is to self-justify. The Bible teaches, no, 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 justification is not a person's work by being religious. No, no, no. Justification is God's work of declaring sinners righteous. We could say acquitting the guilty. I don't know where you were when O.J. Simpson's verdict came down. But do you remember as they waited for the pronouncement of the jury, do you remember Simpson's face when the verdict was not guilty? I don't know what you feel about it, but I feel pretty confident that he was guilty. He was found to be civilly responsible for their deaths later in a court. But when O.J. Simpson, who was guilty, I believe, of those murders, was acquitted and declared to be not guilty, it was a picture of my sin before a holy God as I stood before the jury of heaven waiting for a pronouncement on my standing, knowing that I had sinned, knowing that I had broken the law, knowing that I was a spiritual criminal. And because of Jesus, God the Father declared me innocent justified me based on the finished work of his precious son, my Savior. Will you notice from verse 24 that this acquittal is secured freely by his grace. From the sinner's point of view, this being declared innocent, although being guilty, is secured freely by his grace. Verse 24 being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. This justification, this being declared not guilty, although plainly we are guilty, is a gift of grace. It is freely given without cause. It is freely given to the believer in Jesus without merit. Nothing we could do would ever earn this acquittal from God. It is all of God's grace and not upon any of our merit. This acquittal, this justification, this unmerited favor towards sinners like us is given freely. Freely. It costs the Godhead everything, but it is free 
to us as believers. This is the great turning point. Verse 24 is the great turning point of the epistle to the Romans. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The turning point of the whole book of Romans. The pivot. The glory of God, His intrinsic eternal perfections. Justification, God's work of declaring the guilty sinner innocent based on the free expression of God's grace as a gift. The third key term, redemption. Redemption is God's work of purchasing a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin and setting that sinner free into a life of grace. Let me say that again. Redemption, like justification, is God's work. None of us can say, well, I'm going to redeem myself. Redemption is God's work of purchasing a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin and setting that sinner redeemed free to do God's will. Never to have to go back into the slave marketplace of sin again. Redemption, again, is God's work of purchasing a sinner. What was the purchase price? What did God have to lay down as a cost to him? What was the purchase price of God setting you and me free from the slave marketplace of sin, setting us free to do the bidding of the, of the Lord, never to have to return to the slave marketplace of sin? What was the cost, the price? 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 tells us, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from the futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with Precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's what it took for God to see you living futilely in the slave marketplace of sin, like Hosea's prostitute wife in the Old Testament on the slave block of sin naked with a life ruined. God looked at you and me. And he willingly sent his son to shed his blood that we could be purchased out of that slave marketplace of sin and redeemed. This brings us to the fourth term. The glory of God, God's intrinsic eternal perfections, justification, God's work of declaring the sinner innocent, redemption, God's work of buying us out of the slave marketplace of sin to set us free to do his will never to have to return to the slave marketplace again. The fourth term is propitiation. Propitiation, verse 25, Romans 3, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, the foundation of the house. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. What is propitiation? Propitiation is a sacrifice of atonement. Propitiation is a satisfactory payment. This is a very weak illustration, but I was at lunch today with Pastor and Mrs. Lee and our guest speaker and his wife and the international director of the Barnabas Fund, and we had a lovely time. Pastor Lee was talking about when he bought a transponder to be able to cross the bridge into Paradise Island. And he said when he paid the price of his transponder, they never charged him a VAT. <laughs> they phoned him up and said, come in and pay the VAT. <laughs> you see, he had made a payment 
They hadn't asked him for the VAT, but it turned out it wasn't a satisfactory payment according to the people collecting the money. They had to, he had to go back and pay the VAT. The propitiation of God's work of propitiation means he never has to go back and pay more than Jesus' blood for us. Yes, propitiation is a satisfactory payment. Christ is the only offering that satisfied holy God's wrath concerning our sin. 1 John 2, 2 talks of this as well. And he himself, Jesus, and he himself is the, not a, the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. In potential, Jesus Christ shed blood, in potential, is a satisfactory payment for all the world. I understand from Ephesians 1 and other texts that God has chosen and elected some for salvation. So effectively, the elect are the ones who will believe in Christ and have that efficacious payment of Christ's blood be the propitiation in actuality for their sins. What we're talking about here, when we talk about propitiation, is we're talking about God's wrath. By the way, God's wrath has fallen on hard times. It's never taught in the evangelical church in America. Doesn't fill the building. Doesn't pay the electrical bill. But if you don't understand God's wrath, you can't understand God's love. If you don't understand God's wrath, you don't understand Jesus' cross. If you don't understand God's wrath, you don't don't understand God's mercy and grace. And so propitiation is Jesus Christ's life's blood being the only necessary satisfactory payment to a holy God to assuage his wrath against sin. And now, today's personal God story. Well, good morning. It is absolutely a privilege for me to tell my God story or the means and the circumstances by which I come to place faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. A little background is that, of course, I'm an Androsian by birth, grew up in a very small rural community in North Andros called Mastic Point. It was during my teenage years, and I guess whatever that might look like or for those in that particular um, community, and the activity, certainly there was not much activities for young boys, um, except those things that we do naturally in terms of going towards the, the shores, the sea, or in what we call in the bush. Of course, the activity that would highlight for most of the young people during the rainy season in particular was, of course, going for crabs. That was a means of economic survival as well. But it was during one of those uh, time in my, I think I was in grade 11 at the time, there was a gentleman who had a revival, um, and I think he came from North Abaco. Uh, they called him a, a Bishop Sweeting at the time. And of course, my mother, who I loved dearly and was indeed the my spiritual mentor, the one who took uh, us to, my siblings and I, to church on a regular basis. It was mandatory that you go to church every time the church doors were open. We were there because my mom was intimately involved with the activities of the church. But during this special revival that was held by Bishop Sweeting, um, as usual, we were escorted to the church services, and it was during one of those uh, services that the invitation was given for persons to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. The first evening, 
Um, I heard, I listened, I understood, I think, what was being asked, but I didn't have within me what we might call the gumption or the impetus to get up on my own and move towards, as they call you, up towards the altar. And so I remained in my seat, didn't move. That was the first evening of the services. And uh, the second night, again, the same invitation. And at this time, one of my friends who was sitting in the same pew with me got up and moved, went forward. And then after a while, I felt like, you know, I was probably the only person sitting in that row, that pew, um, other than, of course, my, my mom. And uh, the person who, of course, the bishop's waiting, who was speaking at the time, you have the sense that this person is actually looking right at you. What I noticed was that um, persons who went up, and even from the evening before, now that I look at, think about it, it was rather comical, um, that persons were crying as if they, and it seemed genuine. And I'm thinking, uh, what is making them cry? Certainly, I didn't have that emotion. But I decided I, I what was being said was indeed true, so I'm going to go up and um, accept Jesus Christ as my Savior as it was presented to me and my understanding of how that process worked at the time. I went to the pulpit, and while we were kneeling down, persons came down and prayed for us. Uh, and, of course, at the time, you know, the hairstyle was Afro. I had an Afro. Um, and I was more concerned about those people putting their hands on my Afro <laughs> and, and, I guess, messing that up. Um, and so as they bowed their heads and I looked, and, you know, my head's bowed but looking to the left and to the right of me, and there were uh, students my age and, and genuinely weeping. I didn't have that emotion, as I mentioned earlier. And looking back now, it's rather humorous and maybe even a little bit nasty, you might say, because I wanted now to see if I can imitate the same emotion. I didn't have any. So I decided, well, I better pretend to be crying, even though I think cognitively, or I'm thinking, what am I up here for to place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I tried to put on the facial expression to look as if this is a very somber, sad face, because seemingly that's what the persons on the side of me were doing. And uh, But we went through, I, I went through, they guided us in terms of what we are to say, in terms of accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, simply this, that you have to acknowledge that you are a sinner. As the scripture tells us, you are a sinner, and the wages of sin is indeed death. That is bad news. But the good news certainly was that Jesus Christ has come and he has paid the penalty for our sins. And if we would simply place faith in him and accept him as our Lord and Savior, then we will be freed, pardoned from our sins. That was indeed good news. So I, I got up from there feeling a little bit airy, light, you may call it lightheaded, that what has just taken place. But it was in fact just that. I am now a new creation in Christ. Went back to my my seat, and, and the service continued. The next day at school, of course, I, I didn't necessarily detect any significant difference. I didn't tell anybody. In some cases now, when I tell the story, I, I was an undercover Christian because I never said anything to persons about my relationship with God. I just continued living because, I guess, in the community that I live, I considered by, I guess, the prevailing standard that I was a relatively good boy, and yet Scripture tells us very clearly there is none good, not even one from Andros, none good at all. 
So that was my experience in the beginning days. Eventually, I moved into college, again, as a young believer, still, uh, without any overt effort. I never initiated any discussion with persons. I just went through college um, until the second year in college, and I discovered I had a cousin who was in the same group with me, and he was a very vocal and ardent um, believer. Didn't hesitate to look for opportunities to share his faith with other persons that he would come in contact, certainly with other students in, in the college. And, and that impressed me. Um, and in, in a way, I guess I, I was impressed by a, from a distance. And uh, I wanted to do that, but never had what I thought in me, the, the nerve to go and approach somebody, um, as we call it, cold turkey, and just start a discussion or conversation about their belief. But still, I was impressed. And it, I, I look back again with um, awe and amazement at how God would have orchestrated and guided my life and, and pushed me, as it were, in places where I had some inhibition. And just strategically and incrementally, he placed me in situations where I was either forced or coerced in, in, a, in a gentle way um, into telling persons about my faith. And, of course, we had a, a great example in Scripture in terms of how Jesus introduced topics in terms of asking questions. I, I was always... Um, I guess, impressed and curious as to what is it that people believe. And so over a period of time, I, I decided to just ask questions about what is it you believe. That seemed to be less intimidating. And so that was the approach I started using. And eventually, um, I remember the uh, soon after completing uh, college, uh, here at the College of the Bahamas in Nassau, Bahamas, I went to uh, was posted as a teacher to one of the family island communities, also in Andros. And that was further to the Central Andros area. And as the practice and the prevailing culture at the time was, persons revered those who were teachers. And so once you showed up in a community as a teacher, you were uh, given the due respect um, by the residents, the community at large. I remember going to this uh, little, it was a Baptist church. And when I went there, the pastor you know, along with the other teachers who were teaching in the community. We all participated in whatever the proceedings of the service was, singing. But then this is what happened that really stunned me. Um, while we were standing at one of the, during the service, the pastor simply said, you know, please bow with me as we pray. And then once everybody bowed their heads to pray, he determined that um, he's going to ask, he said, well, would we have Mr. Fowler, or would you please lead us in prayer? Um, that was that was crazy. Is he talking about me, uh, me to, to lead in prayer? Um, while everybody, I, I had this nervous feeling that maybe while their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, this is my opportunity to run out of here, sneak out. But then this is a small community. I still have to go back and stand in front of a class tomorrow morning and teach. And then my reputation is this is the teacher who ran out of church when he was asked to pray. That didn't seem like a very viable option for me. I prayed. I prayed. I don't remember what I said because it may, I'm not sure. I was so nervous. and I just prayed, but I had no clue what it is that I said. That pushed me. That was my first time speaking publicly, um, praying publicly, because a pastor, without asking me prior, just dropped that on me. And then, of course, now I said, look, the next time I go to a church, I have to be ready because just in case these pastors 
make this a practice. I need to be ready. And then what is it that I say? Well, do I have anything legitimately, really, sincerely to say? Yes, I have much to be thankful for. So I need to be able to speak to, um, to God as God. And certainly to thank him if he have needs. Certainly he's given us an invitation that if we do have needs, we can ask. And so, yeah, it's like talking to somebody who is your friend. And so that's my introduction into, I guess, publicly speaking about my faith in the church setting. And then, of course, you know, you always have a captive audience in a classroom. That seemed to be less intimidating for me as a teacher so that I can speak to students. And, of course, there's the mandatory, certainly in the Bahamas now, you must give or teach religious education. And so I speak to the students daily. We have our morning devotion. All of this, again, helped to... Uh, helps me or helps me to share the gospel with some conviction, but also to make sure that the students who might have had questions um, had an opportunity to have those questions answered. And so as we move forward with my, my story with God and his involvement with me, I became especially interested and with, I guess, a renewed or rejuvenated interest in what is it that people really believe? Because what a person believes actually will affect their eternity. And so I was indeed almost enamored with the fact that I must be able to tell people, these people that not only in my class, these people who are my colleagues in the teaching profession, these people who uh, come to my classrooms as parents, these persons need to know that their current existence is not their ultimate existence. And if they have no relationship with Jesus Christ, that will indeed be a tragedy. And so I'm very intentional about the opportunities that God placed before me on a daily basis. I look at every class, every student, every parent, every individual that I meet. Does this person know the Lord Jesus Christ? And if not, maybe this is the moment. Maybe I should ask a question. Maybe I should um, ask them the question that is not necessarily invasive, but simply ask question about what is it you believe? And again, sometimes it's called, I guess, based on the circumstances, use that. So the discussion is turned from whatever is happening at the moment and turn it to spiritual things. So I, I, I think I am very comfortable now in doing that. But I'm impressed with how God has use my my willingness, and certainly I have so much flaws and inadequacies, and yet I'm impressed with the fact that God loves me, loves me even when I didn't know him or certainly love him. And and Romans 5 and 8 is one of my favorite um, scriptures that says to me that, um, in fact, that while we were yet sinners, God commended his love towards us. That 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 is so amazing to me. God didn't wait for us to get it right. In fact, we couldn't get it right without him. And yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So that for me is a humbling experience. And yet I see the magnificence of God's grace um, being shared abroad, certainly in my heart. And I just wish that everybody would come to know him and share in this amazing gift and the assurance of having eternal life with Jesus Christ, as Scripture tells us. It's an amazing thing. We all know what it says in John 3, 16. You know, it says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What an amazing assurance. If you believe, if you place faith in Jesus Christ, you have the certainty, the guarantee, God's guarantee, the best guarantee that there is of eternal life. It is my humble, unshakable desire 
that every human being will experience that eternal life, that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so my life is devoted to God and whatever way he chooses to use me to share with people this truth that you need God and without him, your future is one of damnation, condemnation, and judgment, a life apart from Jesus Christ. You have an option. Choose Christ and live forever with him. And so I encourage everybody to do just that without hesitation. The time are short. I thank you for having listened to me. Uh, my name is Wendley Fowler. Um, one of the pastors at Calvary Bible Church. A uh, privilege to serve the fine folks here at this fellowship. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 6, give rise to the question, what does Paul mean by the phrase, the mystery of Christ? In Ephesians 3, verse 3, Paul begins to elaborate on the mystery that he introduced in chapter 1, verse 9. A divine mysterion, or mystery, is a sacred secret that has not previously been revealed, and when it is revealed, it is understood only by the initiated, that is, by believers. Paul makes no claim to be the sole recipient of this revelation, see 3 verse 5. While the mystery was unknown by Old Testament revelation, it has been made known through the New Testament apostles and prophets. Paul identifies the mystery as the fact that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's Ephesians 3.6. The mystery is not that Gentiles will be blessed by God. That is clearly revealed in the Old Testament in Genesis 12 verse 3, Joel 2 verse 28, Amos 9 verse 12. The mystery is that Jews and Gentiles are united on an equal basis in one spiritual body. Together they share an inheritance, a body, and the promises of God. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m., in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's 
eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.